The reading is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 19, and can be found on page 756 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So Jeremiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see what my word is fulfilled. So see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come up, they will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ali, thanks very much. Be helpful to you to keep that uh, in front of you. It's a complex passage. It's a complex book that we're going to be looking at over the next uh, nine weeks. Let me pray uh, for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, may my uh, lips speak words that are true and worthy of you. Uh, may our ears all be open to hear from your truth. And may your spirit take those words apply them to our hearts, and transform us through them. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks, Steve. You might know the famous opening lines to Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. And you sort of read those and you think, how can it be both? (laughs) Those two things don't seem to fit, they don't seem to match. But of course what Dickens is saying is, and I guess we all, all know this from our own experience, that sometimes we have these two sets of ideas in our head at the same time, and they're in conflict, they're in tension with one another. And that's uncomfortable. Um, Psychologists have a word for it, they call it cognitive dissonance, which is a fancy word for that, that you have two different ideas in your head at the same time, they're in conflict with each other, how can you hold that tension uh, together? So let's have a a couple of examples, first a slightly silly one. Um, It's a new year, it's a new you. So you've decided you're going to get healthy, you're going to eat healthy, you only eat what's good for you because your head says, that'll be good for me. Then you're around someone's house and they bring out the donuts. And then you have another idea going in your head which runs along the lines of yum, 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 yum. And you think two things at the same time. It's good for me to eat healthy, but boy, does that look nice. And you've got to resolve that tension. Now, this one's so sort of trivial and everyday that we might not even realise that's what we're doing, but, but then we try and resolve the tension. So you, you say to yourself something like, one won't hurt. Or, I'll do an extra half an hour in the gym this week. Or, it can't be that many calories, can it? Or you can resolve the tension the other way. You can say, it can't possibly taste as good as it looks. And that's, that might even go through your head automatically. You might not even realise that's what you're doing, but, but that's what we do. We resolve tension because we're uncomfortable with it. Let's take a slightly more serious example. You might know who this guy is, Lance Armstrong. He was a sporting hero in the early 2000s. He overcame cancer, won the Tour de France seven times, I think it was, uh, set up a, a charity, a foundation that helped millions of people, did so much good in the world... And people thought, this guy's a hero. What a hero. And then, of course, the news breaks, doesn't it? That he's actually a drugs cheat. And so you've got these two ideas in your head at the same time. He, he was a sporting hero, and, but he was using drugs. And so you have to try and resolve it. So you might say, well, that, that just spoils the rest of it, doesn't it? Everything else he achieved, completely tarnished by his cheating. Or you could say, well, maybe he did take drugs, but everyone else was. Was he really that much worse than anyone else? Isn't he still kind of inspiring for what he overcame and what he's done? Maybe you try and resolve the tension that way. We don't like living with this tension, and so we want to resolve it. And in our age in particular, we don't like tension. We want things very clear, plain and simple. Good is here, bad is here. Social media makes that even more extreme, I think. Just look at the debates raging in in recent weeks about Churchill, whether he should have a statue, whether he should be honoured because he believed some pretty unsavoury things, things that a lot of people in his time believed, but by today's standards look wrong. On the other hand, of course, he was a, a, a vital part of our overcoming the Nazis. So we don't like that tension. We, we want things nice and clear and straightforward. Which brings us to Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is a a long book, 
It's a complicated book and it's a book full of tensions. And the important thing we all need to do is not try and resolve those tensions too quickly. We need to allow those tensions to stand there because God has put them into this book for our good. In our age where we want quick, simple, easy answers, it's no surprise that the book of Jeremiah doesn't actually get much of a reading. I I guess it would be fair to say it's it's not many people's favorite book of the Bible. Not one we're regularly involved in wrestling with. I can put my hand up and say until the last couple of months, it wasn't a book I knew very well. I sometimes wonder if that's a strategy of Satan. Because I wonder if the message of Jeremiah is actually one of the most vital and necessary messages for our age. Our age which struggles with complex truths. Our age which struggles with tension. And so I hope over these next nine weeks, what we'll be doing is helping all of us to get into this book for ourselves. In nine short weeks, we cannot do justice to the richness and depth and complexity of this long and brilliant and amazing book, but maybe we can all help one another as we listen to God's word together so that we can go away and delve into it for ourselves. That's my prayer. But to do that and to get the riches and the treasures out of it, we need to not resolve the tensions uh, too quickly. And there are tensions throughout the book, and there are tensions in this first chapter. I'm just going to focus on two of them for us. And the first is this, the tensions in the man, Jeremiah. We read right at the start that verse 1, these are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. And at the same time, it is also, verse 2, the word of the Lord that came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And you think, that all sounds very interesting, but what's it got to do with me? What's this long list of names about? Well, right at the start of this book, they're trying to tell us about what the situation is, that this man, Jeremiah who as God has chosen and called and brought forth to speak his word, what world is he speaking into? What kind of a world is it? He was speaking in a real place and a real time. Now, I've got a couple of maps here. A hundred years before Jeremiah, um, you you might not be able to see it that clearly. Hopefully you can. You can see I've circled Assyria there. A hundred years before Jeremiah, Assyria were the superpower of the region. Top dogs. No one could challenge them. But in the last hundred years leading up to when Jeremiah came on the scene, they sort of disappeared. And now what's happening is there's a power vacuum. There's a real struggle for who's going to be the new top dog. Uh, And there are two main options. You've got Babylonia, the Babylonians, and Egypt. And they're sort of fighting to take over all the territory that Assyria used to own. And um, so... They're coming like that. And uh, guess who's caught in the middle? God's people in Judah, between two big, powerful empires. And really, they've only got three options. You can read more about the history at the end of Two Kings and Two two Chronicles about these kings and and what they did. They've only really got two options. uh, Three options, sorry. They can ally with the Babylonians against the Egyptians... Or they can ally with the Egyptians against the Babylonians, or they can try and go it alone. And any decision they make 
is going to have huge consequences. It's going to have an impact on who they can trade with and their economy. It's going to have an impact. They're going to make an enemy, so it's going to have an impact on their security. Sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? It's a big decision. And like a lot of nations who are in the middle of a big decision, lots of different factions arrive. And if you read Jeremiah, you'll see there are different people playing their own political games, different people trying to push their own person into authority. There are assassination plots and actual assassinations in Jeremiah. Everyone's vying for political power. But it's even more complicated than Brexit, actually, because these are God's people. And therefore, whatever choice they make will also have spiritual consequences. If you make an alliance with another nation in the Bible, you also ally with their gods. So you read about Josiah in those verses, one of the greatest kings of Judah. And Josiah's great thing was he wouldn't make alliances with other nations because his heart was fully devoted to the Lord his God. Interestingly, the other two kings that are mentioned, Jehoiakim, he's a puppet king for the Egyptians, and Zedekiah is a puppet king for the Babylonians. So they all make different choices. And they have massive consequences. And if that's the context, one wrong word could set off an absolute explosion of some kind. Who would want to be called as a prophet into a context like that? It's a difficult situation, isn't it? And the man God calls to speak his word into this messy, complicated situation is Jeremiah. First of all, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, you're my man. Go out there and give them my words. I find verse 6 very comforting. (laughs) Because in this messy, complicated situation, this prophet of the Lord says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. No one's going to listen, God. I'm young. I'm weak. They're just going to laugh at me or ignore me. I can understand why Jeremiah felt like that, because let me be honest with you, I very often feel like that. Part of my job is to stand up and teach people God's word, to proclaim God's word. And often you stand up and think, why would they listen? I'm too weak. I'm too small. Maybe you feel like that as well. But look at God's reassurance to Jeremiah. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. There is a tension in Jeremiah, the man. He feels weak and small and young and not capable. And yet he is the one God has chosen. He is the one God has appointed to this job. The tension's in the man. He's called by God from his birth, verse 5. But he feels weak and insignificant in verse 6. 
It's a familiar pattern, actually. It, it reminds us a lot of Moses' call in some ways. Uh, you remember Moses? God comes to him and says, you're my man, Moses. And Moses says, oh, I don't know how to speak. I can't do it. And God says, I'll be with you. As Christian believers, we have been called by the Lord Jesus to proclaim his gospel and make disciples of all nations. And maybe you feel a bit of that tension in you too. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to say. Why would they listen to me? I'm just so insignificant. And yet if you're a Christian believer, the Lord Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, has all authority, has called you to make disciples of all nations. If you're a student here, next week represents a great opportunity to do that work as uh, the CU Mission Story Week kicks off. And I bet you if you do go out and step out in faith and try and proclaim the good news to somebody, you might feel very weak and insignificant. You might have a bit of a Jeremiah moment. And yet the Lord says, do not be afraid. I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age, in fact, the Lord Jesus says. There is that tension there. And we've got to acknowledge it. We know that God has called his people to proclaim his word. And yet we feel weak, like Jeremiah. Well, that's the tensions in the man. But our second point um, is the tensions in the message. So then there's this symbolic action of God in verse 9. Jeremiah, you're the one I've chosen. The Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. I'm giving you the message you are to proclaim. And what is the summary of his message? Well, verse 10 is a really key verse. You will notice, if you're observant there, that the title of the series is Uprooting Sin, Planting Hope. And we got that title from this verse. Because this verse is Jeremiah's mission statement. What is it God calls Jeremiah to say? See today, I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. It is a summary of Jeremiah's mission. And there are two types of words used in verse 10. There's the destructive words, the uprooting, the tearing down, the destroying, the overthrowing. And on the flip side, you've got the building and planting words, the constructive words. Because Jeremiah's ministry is going to be two-sided. On the one hand, he is going to declare the hope that God brings to his people, something constructive. But on the other side, he is going to proclaim God's judgment on sin and wickedness and rebellion, to say that destruction is coming for those who would oppose the Lord their God. There are two sides to his ministry. Now, you might have noticed there are four destructive words and there are two constructive words. Did you notice that? Uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow. Four destructive words, build and plant, two constructive words. And that tells you where the weight of Jeremiah's ministry is going to be. As you read the book, it is mainly judgment. So uh, I think I've got a little chart here that might uh, help us understand uh, a little bit the book of Jeremiah and its structure. Uh, so oh, I hope you can see that. You might not be able to. 
Um, that's chapter 1 there, which is what we're doing today. And then we've got chapters 2 to 29 there in red. Chapters 30 to 33 in green. And then we've got 34 to 45, 46 to 51, and 52. Now, the ones in red are, broadly speaking, chapters of judgment. There's a bit of of pieces of hope in there, but mainly they're judgment, the the book of judgment there. Uh, The 30 to 33 is known as the book of comfort. That's where Jeremiah pronounces hope for the people of God. Uh, These yellowy sections are historical and uh, at the end there, you've got a series of judgment oracles against the nations in 45, uh, 46 to 51. So broadly, that's how Jeremiah works out. You can see there's a lot more red than green. Because that's the nature of Jeremiah's ministry. God has called him at a particular time and place where the word God's people need to hear is, wake up, watch out. Judgment is coming. Can you not see that you have disowned me, forsaken me? But even in the days of Jeremiah, God has more to say than that. It is never all judgment with the Lord. There is always hope for those who would return to him. Any faithful minister of God's words will have two sides to their ministry. They'll be uprooting and planting. Now that's a tension. You think, how can both be true? How, how can it be true that God is going to judge sin and yet there could still be hope for sinners? And it's important tension in Jeremiah that we hold on to. Don't flatten it out. Don't try and resolve it too quickly. It drives the book along in many ways. And any faithful minister of God's word will have both those sides to their ministry. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says that the job of the minister of the word is to teach the truth and refute error. Two sides to the ministry. That, that is something that every bishop in the Church of England promises to do when they're consecrated. Faithful ministries must have both sides. And there's a problem when one or the other goes missing. When you don't warn people of judgment, as we're going to see in Jeremiah, there are false prophets in Jeremiah's day. When you stop warning the people of judgment, you end up with no gospel at all. People drift from the Lord. There's no repentance. No real faith. But there is the opposite danger as well. If you only preach judgment, you, you can see this sometimes if you go online, which I encourage you not to do in this case, uh, and check out what often they refer to themselves as discernment ministries. And all they do is point out where everybody else gets teaching wrong. That's their entire ministry. It's their entire mission just to point out the flaws in everybody else. One of the pictures that the Bible uses for those who would teach God's word is of a shepherd. Well, a shepherd has to fight against wolves, but they have to feed the flock too. They have to do both. You do have to warn of judgment if you're going to proclaim God's word. It's not nice. I don't suppose any of us like warning that there is a just God out there who will punish sin and therefore people need to repent. It's not an easy message to hear. It wasn't easy for me to hear it. But if we're going to be faithful to God uh, and we're going to hold out the true gospel, it's an important part of that message. Well, we then see God um, bringing to Jeremiah two visions, which bring this out a bit more clearly, what this judgment is going to be like, which is his major note in his ministry. 
The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Um, the almond tree, it's a bit of a word play there. If you've got your red Bibles in front of you, there's a footnote. Uh, the Hebrew for almond sounds like the Hebrew for watch. So it's a bit of a joke. It's known as a watching tree in certain bits of uh, Israel, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, you've seen right, the watching tree, I'm watching, says God. When you go out and take my word, I'll be there watching over it to make sure it does what I want it to do. And then the second vision, verse 13, I see a pot that is boiling. It is tilting towards us uh, from the north. There's a lot of debate about whether this pot's full of water or not, but basically the, the point is, either way, that the pot's tipped over, and either there's scalding water coming from the north, or there's a, a foul stench because it's burned on remains that have been burnt up from the... Either way, the point is this. Something nasty is coming from the north. Okay? That's the point of that vision. The Lord said to me, verse 14, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on the people because of their wickedness in forsaking me. Notice that? That's the great sin. They've forsaken God in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. We're going to think about that a bit more next week as we look at the, the, the topic of idolatry that Jeremiah is going to proclaim against. This judgment is God's will. He's watching over his word to see that it happens. And yet there are going to be human beings involved in bringing that judgment to pass. A king is going to come from the north. Uh, We're going to find out it's the Babylonian king. They are going to be God's instrument in bringing this judgment about. It is both the actions of humans and the will of God at one and the same time. Well, that's the message you've been given, Jeremiah. Judgment with a little bit of hope. You think it's going to be a popular message? <laughs> is it what you'd want God to come and say, I've got a mission for you, by the way. Here it is. <laughs> this is the message you've got to deliver. I guess most of us wouldn't want that. So what for Jeremiah? Verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, wherever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, when we're scared about proclaiming the full gospel to people, including those bits that we know they're not going to like. Do we ever ask that question, yeah, but how will God think of me at this moment? I know my default is, what are they going to think of me? I don't often ask that second question, what's God going to think of me about the way I present the gospel to this person at this moment? Don't be terrified by them says God, or I will terrify you. But look, he doesn't just give a warning. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Jeremiah, yes, it's a hard mission. But I'm with you. I'm going to put steel in your spine. I am going to be your strength. You can't do it on your own. You need me. But I am going to be with you. 
as you preach against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. He's got to go against the rich and powerful and give them this message. People who could intimidate him. They will fight against you. You will face opposition, Jeremiah. But it will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Friends, it's not always a cheery thought to think we're going to be opposed for holding out the gospel. And yet the Bible says that's what we should expect. We need to keep that tension in the gospel that says there is judgment for sin. And yet there is hope for sinners. How are we going to do that? How are we going to learn from these tensions that Jeremiah knew also all too well and actually are true of every age? Well, we need to look, as always, to Jesus, the greater prophet. Because Jesus holds these tensions together. He doesn't resolve them. He doesn't flatten them out too quickly. Jesus bears judgment on the cross. And yet through his death brings hope for sinners. Jesus' gospel was one of judgment and hope. Jesus appears weak in the eyes of the world. And yet he is the very power of God, the Bible tells us. And one day the Bible promises that Jesus will resolve these tensions. One day, final justice will be done and our hope will be fulfilled. But that day is not yet. That day is still to come. And so here's my appeal to you as we work our way through the book of Jeremiah. It is uncomfortable. I I hope you felt a little uncomfortable this morning as we've looked at it. Here's my appeal to you. Don't try and resolve those tensions too quickly. It's very tempting, isn't it? To say, oh, well, yes, there was judgment, but that was an Old Testament thing. And now we're in the New Testament and it's grace and mercy and love for everyone. And I'm just not quite sure that's what the New Testament teaches, actually. Jesus says there is still a judgment to come. Don't resolve those tensions too quickly. There is still hope. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus is not about giving you your best life now. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise a a life free from suffering and opposition. He does promise to bring you into his family. There's a tension there. Loved and chosen by God for sure, but, but you can still be opposed. And so my appeal to all of us is, look to Jesus. Because we've seen at the cross that he knows how to resolve these tensions. He knows how justice can be done against sin. And yet he can find hope for sinners. But let's not... So so he does know how to resolve those tensions and promises he will do one day. But let's not be too quick in resolving them ourselves. Let's leave room for Jesus the greater prophet. And let's listen to the word of Jeremiah and let it, let it make us feel uncomfortable this term a little bit. 
And as it does its work, God will be speaking to us and challenging us. Well, I need to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you that you called him into a tricky situation. Into a world that was messy and conflicted and broken. And you gave him a message that was both judgment and hope. Thank you that your message is consistent. Help us hear the words of Jeremiah. In their complexity, in their tension. Help us not flatten that out or resolve it too quickly. Help us to know that you are the just judge. You judge fairly and rightly. And yet you're the God who holds out hope. Help us to hear both halves of that this term as we wrestle with Jeremiah, we pray. And where we need to repent, help us to repent. And where we need to trust in your hope that you offer, help us to do that too. And thank you for the Lord Jesus who holds these tensions together and promises one day to resolve them. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.